Amen. Trying to pass the blame upon others for your own sin is as old as Adam and Eve. Adam, of course, says to God, the woman which you gave me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. It's her fault. And then, of course, the woman, it's the serpent's fault. And if you're married, you know, it's his fault. It's her fault. Blame shifting. And this blame shifting was happening in our passage in Luke chapter 11. It was happening in Jesus' day by the Pharisees and the scribes and, and maybe some of the crowd even who ask for yet another sign from heaven. Jesus it's your fault that we don't receive you as Messiah. Just make it clear. Just give us another sign. We need to see more evidence. And so for the rest of chapter 11, um, in Luke, I think one of the, what Jesus is saying here to sum it up, in the context of Luke 11, Jesus is saying, no, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Plenty to see here. Plenty of miracles. People dead coming out of the grave. kind of stuff. For the last two and a half years, words spoken, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. Plenty to see here. Remember, Earlier in Luke chapter 11, just to get us up to speed, Jesus responded to their accusation that those miracles that He did were done by the power of Beelzebul, the Lord of the flies, that is, the devil himself. You've worked by the power of the devil. And Jesus says, no, I'm not to blame here. Let's put the spotlight where it belongs. You're in denial of Reason. You're in denial of evidence. The reason you're in denial of reason and evidence is you are in bondage to the strong man and you're just fine with it. You're at peace in his home. Your house is all well kept and looks good on the outside. But there's seven more demons are coming. And the end of your state is going to be worse. Than the beginning. The light is shining. It's not my fault, Jesus says. In fact, the Queen of Sheba traveled over a thousand miles as a Gentile woman to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And when she heard it, her knees buckled. She couldn't stand up. And she was saved. And the wicked, wicked Ninevites were preached the gospel by an imperfect fleeing Jonah, and they repented. And something that is a person and a message, something greater then Solomon is here and shining. Something greater than Jonah is here and shining. Greater truth, greater life. Why will they not believe? Why will you not believe? It's not the fault of Jesus. It's not the fault of the Word of God. The light is shining. Don't blame Jesus. Why will you not see the truth? 
Jesus means to answer that question in the next passage after the passage of the Queen of Sheba, one that we talked about last time. Take your Bibles, if you're not there yet, to this next passage, the parable of the lamp in Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. That's going to be our passage. I'm going to start reading as you turn there, just to see that connection between the last passage and this one, how natural it is by starting to read at verse 29. Luke chapter 11, follow along as I read. Luke chapter 11 and verse 29. Here we go. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For, just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, behold, a sight word. See it, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh, Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, see it, sight word, behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now keep reading. Don't let the paragraph marker stop you. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar, nor under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. The parable of the lamp. Now, you've heard this before. In fact, Jesus uses this illustration of the lamp in Luke chapter 8 and verse 16. He's used this familiar illustration in Mark chapter 4. He's used it in Matthew chapter 5. So he's using this in a number of preaching and teaching moments throughout his ministry that are different from this moment. So, the, so this illustration is one he used a lot. It takes on a bit of a proverbial character, this parable of the lamp. Bach says, quotes, this is a teaching that was used in a variety of occasions in a variety of ways, end quotes. The question we have for verse-by-verse -verse preaching is this, why is Luke using this and putting this right here in Luke chapter 11? And here's the answer. Luke is answering the question, why did the men of Nineveh see <laughs> and the Pharisees didn't see the light of the truth of Christ? Why is that? Let's, let's dig down. Why do we respond to the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see His glory in the face of Christ. Why did that happen to you? It happened to me at age 27. You have your story. Why did that happen to you? And the same light shown on the next person next to you, no effect. Why do we reject the gospel? We don't need brighter light. We need to be given eyes to see. Now, let's unpack then the parable of the lamp 
and look at four aspects of the light of the gospel and you. The light of the gospel and me. Four aspects of the light of the gospel and you. Number one, verse 33, there's light outside of you. Light outside, point one. Verse 33, no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar, nor under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. In the context, Jesus is saying, blessed are you. Not so much if you bore the Messiah, but blessed are you if you hear the Word of God and listen to it. And then, by the way, the men of Nineveh, they listened to the Word of God and they repented. The Queen of Sheba, she traveled. She heard it. She was put in awe of the truth of this great God. She was saved and she listened to the proclamation of the truth of God's Word. So the light, in the context, in this use of the parable of the lamp, the light is the bright truth of Jesus Himself as the light of the world and preeminently the, the glory and the truth of His revelation that He spoke. And that's the way Luke used. And it's all over the Bible. The uh, light is a picture of the truth. John loved that. Uh, way of talking about the light. But Luke does as well. I'll give you just one example of Simeon holding baby Jesus in the temple. Do you remember that? In Luke chapter 2, verse 32, Simeon had been shown by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Messiah before he died, and he was getting up there in years. And so he's holding baby Jesus. He knows it's, it's the promised Messiah, and he says in Luke 2, Verse 29, Now, Lord, You are releasing Your bondservant to depart in peace according to Your Word. For my eyes have seen Your salvation. So in the baby Jesus, Simeon had seen his own salvation right there in his arms. His salvation from sin. We pick it up in verse 31. The, sal the salvation which You have prepared in the presence of all peoples, and then notice verse 32, a light of revelation. There it is. Luke loves it. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And so the light in the parable of the lamp here is the truth of Christ, the words of Christ. And so then, with that being established, we turn then to the parable of the lamp. Light outside in verse 33. Now, and my wife would love this, in those days there were not electricity. Can I get an amen? Oh, she puts a kibosh on the TV. And so, in order to see early in the morning, to get up and seek God, and to have close fellowship with family and friends, uh, over the evening reclining meal, and so on. Be productive even in the evening. They needed a lamp. And the lamp could only produce so much light, so, but it produced more light if you put it like up on this pulpit or somewhere a little higher. It's called a lampstand. And, and it, the higher the light was, the more it would right, illumine the room. Does that make sense? So that's the cultural background here. And Jesus is saying in verse 33, and it's kind of common sense, but we're, we don't live in that time. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar, nor under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter the house, right, those who enter may see the light. So in other words, you don't light up the lamp, take it off the lampstand, sneak down into the dark, dank, damp cellar, put it in the basement on the floor in the corner 
while the friends and the relatives, you know, stumble around in the darkness on the top floor, not able to have sweet fellowship to see what they're doing. No one does that, Jesus says. But then he's, he's making a point. That's what you're doing, Pharisees, with the light of the world. You are shoving me in the cellar. You're putting the light that is shining upon you. And you're getting it as far away from you and others who are entering into fellowship in your house. And you're hiding it away in the cellar where it can't be seen. Oh, it's shining. And you're hiding it away in the cellar. So Jesus is saying, you don't need more light. I haven't hidden the light from you. I'm doing this in broad daylight. I speak publicly. I minister publicly. I'm shining the light brightly right in front of you. And you're shoving me in the basement cellar. So you don't have to deal with it. You prefer groping in the darkness. You're bound by the strong man. Just fine at peace. Your house put in order. And when the light shines on you, it disturbs you. It's unsettling, isn't it? So you're putting me in the cellar. The light of the world. That's what Jesus is saying. And that makes sense because those who don't want to see the light of Christ, they scatter. Look at Luke 11, verse 23. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me does what? Scatters. Like a cockroach that you shine the flashlight on in the basement and scurries under the old furnace. Can't stand the light. Scatters from me. How you're doing that is you're shoving me as far away as you can. You're putting me in the cellar. Distance. I need distance from the light. Get down in the cellar. Down in the basement. You're not gathering and coming to the light and bringing others to the light. You're scattering. And you're bringing others with you. And he'll make that very direct in the whitewashed tombs to follow. So, what are, so the Pharisees are shoving the light of Christ down in the, in the basement. Get away from me, light. And then, they're, and then they're in the darkness saying, it's your fault. Give us more light. That's their play. That's what everyone does. Just show yourself. Prove that the Word of God doesn't have ears. Where is God? Look at this mess of a world. Last week, I don't know if it was Facebook or where I saw it, it was a quote by C.S. Lewis. Quotes. The atheist can't find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. End quotes. The light of the truth of Christ is shining on this world. And it still shines. And I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, just listen to me for a second. I was thinking about this, doing the membership class and the theology of the church once again. I love it because I get reminded of the church. What a privilege it is to be planted right here on this crossroads in Lakeville, to be a theological lighthouse, downtown Lakeville, to shine the light of God's truth, the truth about Christ, to, to proclaim the, shine, the, the sign of Jonah the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to proclaim the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ from this place to our neighbors. That's why we're here. We want to shine the light from this place. So this light is outside of you and it's shining. The question is, what are you doing? Believer, unbeliever, whoever you are, what are you doing with the light? Are you scattering in a dark cave when the flashlight goes on like a spider that sees the light? I can't stand the light of God's truth. It's going to expose my sin. I don't want to deal with it. I like my life. Gets under, get me under a rock. 
Or do you see the beauty of the light and you just want to come to the light? You want to follow Christ? You want to sit at His feet and listen to His Word? It's uncomfortable because He shines that light into the darkness of your cellars. Doesn't He? He wants all of you. Not very uncomfortable. Put Him in the cellar. When you come here to this place to hear the Word of God preached, it's uncomfortable. Because the light is shining on your darkness. The remainders of indwelling sin, if you're a believer, they're shining on it. It is. <laughs> shining on it. It's uncomfortable. It's easier maybe to sleep in and take a break from it from time to time. It's too painful being in the Word of God to hear it day after day running across these passages. and I don't want to hear it. You stay away from the light. You shove it on the mantle where it collects dust or put it in the cellars. You don't see it. Running from the light. Scattering from the light. The devil trying to distract us. Helping us put it in the cellar. Our busyness and our lack of margin helping us rumble that Word of God like a slinky down the stairs into the cellar of our lives. But brothers and sisters, Jesus has said, happy are you who listen to the Word of God and observe it. Blessed are you who are awestruck to see and to hear the wisdom of one greater than Solomon in the Word. Blessed are you when you see the sin, when the light is shining on it, but you know that there's a Savior greater than all of your sin, and you turn to Him when the light shines upon you. And all of this should help us understand John chapter 3. If you're fast, you can turn to John chapter 3. I thought of having Brandon read this one instead of the one I did, but alas, I didn't. So let's do it. Listen to this in John chapter 3, verse 16. Does that sound familiar? John 3, 16? Okay, I'm going to read it. Sorry that you're not there yet. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. But we don't know the next verses typically, so let's keep reading. Verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, here we come, get ready. This is the judgment. That light, that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. And does not come to the light. Why? They're afraid for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So they shove him in the cellar and then point their finger at him and say, You're not shining at all. But, not for us, but he who practices the, the truth, what? Comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So first point then, there's light shining outside of you and outside of me. Saved and unsaved, it continues to shine brightly. What are we doing with the light? Secondly, okay, now, the light's outside of us. Secondly, light enters. So this light gets in to the body. Now we're changing the metaphor where this light shining from this lamp and it's coming into the body. And so, verse 34, light enters. And now the lamp has been switched in the metaphor that Jesus uses to the eye itself. On your head, you got two eyes. As I read, your eyes are the lamp. Watch this. Verse 34, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light, but when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Uh, 
We should have probably called an optometrist this week and got some help, but we'll see how I do. Maybe I can ask afterwards. The metaphor has changed a bit, and now the eye is the lamp. And so the eye is the part of the body that perceives light and lets light in to the body. Even the ancients knew that. And they knew that there's two possible types of eyes because there were blind people in that culture uh, and quite a few. Jesus healed a number of them. There are two types of eyes, a good eye and a bad eye, or um, a clear eye. In fact, the New American Standard translation, when your eye is clear, a clear eye and a cloudy eye. Two possibilities. That this light shining on the outside is going to enter or it's not going to enter depending on the state of your eye. You see that? So, two possibilities. Number one, singular clear eye. That's a fill in the blank. Singular clear eye. Strange word in the Greek text. This word translated clear. If you have different translations, it won't be translated that. Because it's hard to translate. When your eye is clear, uh, or some translations healthy, or um, this word translated clear means a singleness. Single. Single. Strange. A sincere single eye. And I think that they observed that when light is shined into the eye, guess what the eye does? Right? And the, the idea of, of, of just a singular purpose of the eye. Okay? It's a singular purpose and the light comes in. It's wide open. There's nothing clouding it. There's no, there's no barriers. It's, it's wide open to see. I think that that's part of what is happening here. The eye is clear. It's not cloudy like with cataracts. Now, let's, let's think about this. When the light gets in your, in your body, the text says your whole body is, also is full of light. Now, this is amazing. Your whole, so when the light of the truth enters in through the eye, you're, you're given eyes to see the truth, and the light enters, it lights up your whole body. Every part of you is lit up. You, you kind of need to know that about Christianity. Okay, now Listen. Your whole self, your whole personality, your mind, your emotions, your spiritual life, your heart, every part of you is owned by the light of truth. The light shines into all of you, not part of your... You don't get to put a part of your body in the cellar as a believer and have it be free from the light of God's truth. You don't get to do that. You don't get to have something in which the light doesn't shine. It takes over all of you. I think that's what he's saying here. There's a singularness, a fullness of the light. It, it takes over singularly, sincerely, all of you. It opens up all of you. Okay. On the other hand, there's an evil, cloudy eye. That is, the light of Christ is not the problem. The eye is the problem. Do you see that? You don't need more light. You need to be given eyes to see. And so you have this, this eye that is evil here. Um, it is cloudy. It's diseased. Uh, a cataract is a disease in which the lens of the eye gets more and more cloudy and opaque over time. It could lead to blindness. You can't see the light. And it's cloudy and it's a diseased eye. You can even see the connection of, of blindness to sin in the mind of the ancient Near Easterns with the choice of the word evil. 
So you can't really see the light. Now watch this. How much of your body is dark when your eye is bad? But, verse 34, when it is bad, that's the eye, cloudy and you can't see, part of your body is full of darkness? No. Your whole, notice that word, underline it, your whole body is also full of darkness. So, if you, there is no inner light spark in the cellar of the darkness of your inner man that you have. There's no inner light. You're full of darkness. There's no wisdom, biblical wisdom in your mind. There's no spiritual guiding of your emotions apart from, the, from, true, apart from Christ. All is darkness. There's no spark of light There's no inner light that guides everybody. Hold up your candle, being guided by your inner light. It's not true. All of you is in pitch darkness apart from the light of truth. The natural man apart from the light of Christ is in darkness. Paul talks about in our scripture reading in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. Now listen to the, to the idea of the eyes here. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, there's the veil that covers our eyes so people cannot see, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Brothers and sisters, you were in darkness before God came to you and on that day and gave you eyes to see the truth of who you are in your darkness and who He is as the one who can rid you of that darkness. We need eyes to see and that is why we pray That is why we pray, Lord, open up Alice's eyes. That is why we pray, Lord, open up Becky's brother-in-law's eyes that he might see. We pray for our children. We pray for our grandchildren. God's got to move. God's got to give them eyes to see. And so we pray. We preach and we shine the light of the gospel, but God's got to open up eyes. And so Paul continues on. That's why we preach as we do. It's not going to do any good to bring our opinion, to try to argue them into the kingdom. We've got to preach the gospel. And that's why he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And then in verse 6, Because of what God must do. For it's God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has got to remove the veil. God has got to give us eyes to see. God has got to open up our eyes so that the light would shine in and illumine our whole body. And glory be to God. Listen, if this has happened to you, You shouldn't take it lightly. This is the biggest deal ever that you've been given eyes to see this stuff. Most of the world thinks you're crazy to believe this stuff. Why you? Because God gave you the eyes to see. And that's why Paul can rejoice over this in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read... And he's sad about it for his own fellow Jews. A veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, here, here's us, but we all with unveiled face, beholding, that's sight language, we continue to behold. 
beholding as in a mirror, the mirror of God's Word. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. What's happening? We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We continue to see. We continue to want to look. And the light continues to shine into the dark cellars of our heart. And the light is, is changing us more and more into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was 27 years old when my eyes were opened to the truth of salvation. The light had shined in many different ways. I had even had Pilgrim's Progress in 11th grade from my Bible teacher at New Life Academy. Don't remember any of it. Blinded. Until age 27 on that day, in the preaching of Dr. Zaspel in Romans 8 and reading from Arthur Pink's book, Practical Christianity, the first chapter, Saving Faith, first sentence of the first chapter, there is a faith in Christ that does not save. Uh-oh. Blinders came off. I've never been the same from that sentence. Have you seen the glory of Christ? What are you doing with the light? It's shining. It's not the light's fault. That's what Jesus does next. Light outside. Light inside. Point three, light enters. So light outside, light enters or doesn't through the eye. Third, now let's talk about light inside. And this is where Jesus gives the only command of this little section. The only thing to do. And it's important. I wish someone would have told me this. Light inside, verse 35 and the first half of 36. Here's the only command. Then watch out. There's the command. Then watch out that the light, I'm going to put it in quotes, that the light in you is not darkness. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. Watch out. Take care. Present tense. Examination that needs to go on. Because here's the problem. Listen to me. The problem is we think we see. We think we're lit up on the inside. How many of your family and friends if you say, are you a Christian and you're going to heaven, would say, yes and yes. Is there a God? Yes. Is there a, yes. How many? How many believe that the light in them is true light? Watch out, Jesus says, that the light in you is not darkness. Take care, He says. You're easily... The heart is deceptive above all else. He's saying, make sure the light in you is not darkness. Is the light of God's truth really lighting up your mind, your emotions, your soul? Your soul? Jesus is saying, listen, don't be self-deceived. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were self-deceived. They were the best of the best. Religiously, they were the elite. They were the conservative, evangelical, PhD, biblical theologians of the day. Learned the, I knew a guy who learned the whole Greek New Testament and had it memorized and yet was apart from Christ. Take care, beware that the light in you is not darkness, Jesus says. And he will... We're going to get into some of these tough passages to come where Jesus says, you know, I'm using a nice little lamp illustration to be nice right now. Time to be direct. That's the rest of the chapter. The direct approach is coming. Right now we're to say, is the light really shining? Do you desire to be gathered with Jesus into His mission of gathering others? having your sin exposed and dealing with it, knowing that you've been forgiven of it and you're clothed with the perfections of another, so you're okay. He's going to keep you, but He's going to deal with you and you love it, but you hate it. Is that you? Yes. 
Or are you running from the truth like I did? I mean, how many excuses did I come up with before age 27 not to come to church? I had a rotating list of excuses. They were incredible. Genius. That would sell my wife. Are you just trying to put on a show in front of your parents and your pastor? Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. For the Christian who have been given eyes to see, this is for us as well. Brothers and sisters, if you put a lamp, now this is encouraging, if you put a lamp on a, 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 on a light stand in a dark room, which wins, the light or the darkness? Oh yeah. The light expels the darkness. Isn't that encouraging? That's what light does. When the light is turned on, the light wins. The darkness has simply overcome the light. That's how God created the world, in order for light to be an illustration of our spiritual life, the light of our body. In justification, you're forgiven, all your sin is gone, you have the perfection of Jesus Christ, it's like on you like a robe, it's your standing, but there's still darkness within you. There's still areas that are in the dark, that are still in the cellar of your life. The gospel is continuing to shine. The light of Christ is continuing to shine with a singular purpose. A clear, sincere, singular, unabated purpose. And it will win out. It's shining on the corners of your, of your inner man. The darkness must flee. And, you'll, and I'm telling you, the gospel and the work of Christ will win in your own body, in your own person, there will be not one ounce of darkness left in the new heavens and the new earth. Not one. Sin and its struggle, shame and its disappointment, all of it will be gone because of sight. Sight right now, beholding in a mirror the glory of Christ being transformed into His image and yet imperfectively. But sight then, on the day we see Him, the moment we see Him, the remainders of darkness will be sizzled away. Light will take over perfectly. And when we see Him, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. 1 John 3, verse 2 says, we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him the light of the world and blinding glory. We will see Him just as He is. And light will win out over all of the darkness. Praise God for that. You know, I like to hunt and we hunt and we have little flashlights and we like to our flashlights. And if you think of a little mini mag light or a flashlight, you're in a dark room and you stick that light right against your finger, and you turn it on, what happens to your finger? It's full of light. You can see your blood. It's just lit up. It's the picture of this passage. It's let in. All lit up. Lights out all, all up. So there's a, two questions for you. Are you deceived? Have you seen the light? If you haven't, come to the light. Ask Him that you would see this truth. Trust in Christ today. The blinders will drop off. The Spirit will come in. And you will behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Ask me about it. I'll go out to coffee with you. I'll share this truth and get the light shining. And then Christian, listen, are you doubling down to stay near to the light? Are you a spiritual cyclops with a big old eye in the middle that's just wide open to the truth of Christ? Sitting at his feet in the context like Mary of old, listening, listening, listening to the word about Christ. Are you keeping your distance? Keeping that thing in the cellar? 
in the darkness. I think as a believer, we need to keep the doors open to our inner man, open to the light of Christ. Constantly, it's painful, constantly exposing ourselves to more truth. Dads, listen, wake up call. Shine the light of the gospel of Christ on your children. It's not just Sunday morning for one hour or two. It's your mission. Shine the light upon them. Keep coming to this place when the doors are open. Keep coming. The light shining. We hear it from me. We hear it from our spouse. That's fun. We hear it from each other. And this gives us a different perspective of the Word of God, does it not? We come to the Word of God, oh, here's this bright, light, shining book that's going to now shine upon my heart. I'm going to behold it and be transformed into the image of Christ today uh, after I drink a cup of coffee. But yeah, I'm going to just get into the Word of God and I'm going to behold His glory right here. And I make sense of, of the psalmist who says when we come to the, the preaching of the Word and, and our devotions even, and the family devotions, it makes sense of Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes, the Christian says. Get them fully open. Open my eyes. No cloudiness allowed. No cellar allowed that I might behold wonderful things out of thy law. And so, we contemplate the Word of God. We meditate upon the Word of God. We memorize the Word of God. We read it. It's powerful. It's bright light. It's not the problem of the Word. It's our problem. Shine, O Lord Jesus, into my worries. Shine into the darkness of my depression, O Lord Jesus, with the light of Thy Word. Shine and overwhelm my fears. Shine into the light of my hidden sin. Convict me. Shine the light of the precious promises of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Shine the light on the promises of the Gospel. I think it's pretty good motivation to be in this book, this passage, and to come to the preaching of God's Word as a believer. Oh, I wish we had this heart. Lord, will give it to us as we continue to pursue Him. My daughter Hannah was studying the French Revolution at some point, so this story popped off the page. It was told by Kent Hughes in his commentary, the story during the French Revolution. The French Revolution, and there were believers that, um, it was a few of them, three or four of them, were imprisoned together in a, in a really dark cell in the French Revolution. And only one just a few moments of each day when the light was just right and there were no clouds, the light would shine through an imperfection, a crack in the cellar. And three of the believers, they would lift up, you know, the one you could read well and think on his shoulders. And they'd had a copy of the Scriptures and get them up on the shoulders. So during that brief amount of time, he would read and study the Scriptures, and then they would let him down after that two minutes, and they'd say, teach us, what light did you see from the Word of God? And then they would study the Word of God until the next time the crack opened. Oh, that we have that heart for the light of His truth. No, tell us what you read while you were in the light. And that leads us to our final point in the last minute. Outs, so the light is outside. Hey, look up here. The light is outside, shining. It's not the light's fault. It, it comes, God gives you eyes to see. Comes in, the eye lights up your whole body. He wants all of you. you don't, he's going to light up all of you. That's the purpose of the Gospel and the work of Christ. Yeah? Outside, light enters, the light is inside. Got to discern if it's true light or not. Got to let all the light in, all kind of because he wants all of us. Now, watch this. Finally, the light shines. This is so interesting. We find the second half of verse 36. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you. 
with its rays. And so the picture is here as we're in the Word of God and we're allowing the light to shine and we're repenting and we're believing and we're changing and the cellars of our life are being lit up. Now the toes and out of our fingers as the light percolates to the darkest areas, out of our mouth, the light can't help but to shine. And so Matthew takes up the same illustration. He says, you are the light of the world. Small l, sure enough, but we are the light of the world. We shine the glories of the Word of Christ. It comes out of our mouth. It comes out of our fingertips as we serve. They see Him. They hear Him. Our light shines. And so we take up the mission not to scatter from the light, but to be gatherers with Jesus to bring people to the light because our light shines. And so we put our lights on display before the Lord, brothers and sisters, as a church, as an individual, in your workplaces, in your families. Get your families out of the cellar. Get yourself out of the cellar. Let's get this church out of the cellar. And let's be the theological lighthouse that God has called you and your family and this church to be. Let's let our light shine before men. We don't need brighter light. We need to be given sight. Light outside. Light enters through the eye. Has it? You're lit up on the inside. And you're so lit up that almost as an inclusio, the light gets back outside. And the light shines before men. Because it's not the problem of the light of Christ. It's our problem. It's our problem. The light of Christ was meant to shine.